Good morning. I want to speak this morning about the promised land, that wonderful idea in scripture which goes all the way through the Bible. The story in Genesis kind of starts with the perfect place, with everything about the creation being good, and humanity having the charge to represent God as his image bearers in cultivating and nurturing the good world that he had made. It then goes askew, taking a turn towards death and sin, because Adam and Eve choose to take what was not theirs to take. Then they were cast out of the garden, where they had been kind of immortal, and they were set to work in a world where sin and death would have the final say. So humanity is now cursed with mortality, sin and death are present and need to be overcome. We need to understand that this was God's hope and provision for their ultimate rescue, to put them outside of the garden. And it's into this world, many years later, many generations later, that God promises Abraham that he's going to have children and land and that the creator God would empower them to not only be blessed, but to be a blessing to the whole of creation. And it's here that we're introduced to the idea of the promised land. Most of my talk today is taken directly or with ideas from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament and the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. I've deliberately kept within the parameters of these two texts. Before I start, I'm going to take a quick detour. I'm on the road between Stone and Aylesbury because I was driving there earlier this week. I was thinking about what God wanted me to speak about this Sunday, and I was specifically thinking of Moses standing in front of the people of Israel just before they went into the Promised Land. Just as I had this picture in my mind, out of the corner of my eye I saw a road sign, and I drove past this sign. Yes, it was the two old people crossing the road. It's a sign, I thought to myself. (laughs) Watch out for old people. Watch out for us. We're still on the journey and we're still pilgrims with you. Steve and myself may be retiring from leading Aylesbury Vineyard next week, but you still need to look out for us. We're not retiring from life or from the kingdom or from being a follower of Jesus or from being part of the church here. Anyway, Back to Moses and the people of Israel and the first few chapters of Deuteronomy. That picture of Moses standing in front of the people before they were going to go in and take the promised land. They were looking forward to all that God had had for them in the future. And there was Moses preaching his last sermon, knowing that he wasn't going to be the one that was going to lead them in. This has a lot of resonance for me today, not because I'm expecting to die next week or because I've been some kind of great deliverer like Moses was, but because I have that sense of expectancy for you, for James and the team, and for all that God is calling you into for this next season. You are on the brink of something new. You are standing, looking towards your promised land. What does that look like for you? 
For some, it may be very specific, a dream or goal or vision that you're convinced about for the future. For others, it may be blurred. You may not have any clear vision. Maybe certainty has been pulled from under your feet through what life has thrown at you. And maybe you never really had certainty or even needed it. Do you have excitement about the future or are you cautious? Have your previous dreams and thoughts about what the promised land might look like been dashed? Do you have fear or even dread about what the future looks like? As we stand on the brink together of this new season, I want to highlight some of the things that Moses says to his people to prepare them for what is to come. Things that are specifically related to the promised land that they were going to inherit as a group. Remember Moses is speaking to them as a group, a people, a body, the people whom God had chosen. He's not just speaking to the men as an army or to the young people who've got a long future ahead of them. He's not just speaking to the strong or those that are excited or those who have been fired up with expectancy for the future. He's speaking to all of them, to the strong and the weak, to the able and the disabled, the men and the women, the elderly and the children, to those full of hope and those whose hope is faltering, and to those who've lost their hope. His message, in essence, is how are they going to be a people, a body, a family, in relationship with each other, and in relationship with God, in this new land that God was going to give them. One of the first things Moses says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 16 is how they were going to continue to judge each other impartially as they had been on their journey so far and how they were going to hear both the small and the great alike. Not only that, but they were not going to discriminate between the insiders and the outsiders between the people of Israel and what they called the aliens in the land. They're reminded that they've got to be kind to all because they were once slaves and aliens in a foreign land. These ideas answer the question for me of whose life matters in this promised land, or perhaps whose life matters the most. It's definitely saying all lives matter. But we know, don't we, that in order for that to be the case, in order that there to be impartiality for both the small and the great alike, there's going to have to be some kind of mechanism to ensure that the quieter voice is heard so that it can be considered and listened to. If there's a history of a group not being heard or of inbuilt prejudice or privilege, then we have to be more intentional about ensuring that all the voices are being heard. In this new land, everyone is important enough to be heard fairly and justly, because the measure of what is just is God himself and his nature. Whenever there is a group or a community the principle of the survival of the fittest normally ensures that the stronger voices are heard more than the rest. And one of the reasons that we have always encouraged small groups and relationships 
rather than just having meetings or events in this church, is so that every voice can be heard. Everybody gets to play, whether that be in finding justice or sharing our stories or voicing ideas. Remember that this is a value and one that all of us needs to encourage. This year particularly, we faced up as a church to the sin of racism. This is not going away. We must push in and ensure that hearts and minds are changed. We must keep talking about race and dealing with issues of racism and injustice between us in every way. The church is to model what unity and diversity should look like. And then we should go into the world in our various ways in order to help this to happen out there as well. There are also people amongst us who are living with unheard stories of trauma and abuse. Stories of lives lived under hardship and challenge that they may never have had the chance to voice in a way which could enable freedom and healing. In order for everyone to find deliverance, they're going to need someone to pay attention to them, to draw out trust where they feel safe and where they're able to speak, maybe for the first time in a community of love and reconciliation. So going back to Moses, he reminds the people of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 6 to 21. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. That's how God is defined. He is the rescuer, the deliverer, and he is the one who gives salvation. He says, don't make images or idols, don't have other gods before me, don't misuse my name, observe the Sabbath, honour your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't testify wrongly against someone, do not covet which means don't wrongly desire what belongs to someone else. So these Ten Commandments are the headlines of the law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, the mountain that made them shake with fear, where actually they lost patience with waiting for Moses and they asked Aaron to build the golden calf. After all that being set free, where they were brought out from Egypt as slaves, they came to this place of worship and couldn't wait just a little bit longer to hear from God. They returned to their other gods. It was easier for them to worship something that they could control and that they could see and mould and fashion themselves. But God never gave them the law just to put a straitjacket on them or to take away their pleasure, or to make life rigid and boring. He gave them laws to be a light which would shine wisdom and life into their decisions and their values, and into their relationships with each other and with their God. It was meant to be a help to make them be that representation of God again on the earth, to look after it and glorify God on it. Moses tells them later in Deuteronomy chapter 30 um, that 
they have a choice. They have a choice to choose. They can choose blessing or curse. They can choose life or death. And in all their comings and goings, they were to lead and teach their children so that the children caught everything that had been handed down. That expression caught, not taught, is so true because children pick up what they see and hear in the school of life, not just in the classroom. And all this was so that future generations would learn and live the ways of God. Moses tells them that as they go into the land that they're going to possess, they must not touch the land that God had promised to Esau. Six times in the book of Deuteronomy, it mentions how the land of Seir belongs to Esau, and also twice how the land of the Ammonites uh, was going to belong to the descendants of Lot. And here we've got two characters who weren't in the main story of the Exodus, but who had their own stories going on with God. And the people of Israel were to respect these covenants and to honour those people as well. But there are parts of this story in Deuteronomy that don't sit well with me. The parts that talk about conquest and ethnic cleansing and violence towards others. And there are other people's stories who seem to get left out. When negotiating these ideas, I do believe that we have to understand that Jesus shines a light on the Old Testament that changes how we understand God and ourselves. It doesn't change God, but it changes how we understand him. And it changes the way that we relate and view each other. So we're going to move on to look at the book of Hebrews in the New Testament And in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. So the book of Hebrews picks up many of the themes from Deuteronomy and recontextualizes them around Jesus. It picks up from where Deuteronomy left off. It talks about the fact that the people of Israel never actually settled for very long in the land. They went from times of blessing where they did settle and they became a nation under King David particularly and then they went through decline and then into exile and when Jesus comes they're still in a kind of exile under the Roman Empire and so it says in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 4 to 11 that there is still a rest that remains for the people of God and this rest is a bit like the promised land that Moses is telling the people that they need to walk towards. And this rest could somehow be understood, as well as being understood um, in the idea of Sabbath, also in the idea of shalom, which means peace and safety and security and everything being as it should be. So this world of shalom, this rest, where everyone lives at peace with God and with each other. 
So in that way, the promised land that's spoken about in the book of Hebrews is not a country or a place. It's about a community gathered around Christ, who is both high priest and brother of a new type of humanity. And the Christian community are encouraged to stay strong in the face of challenge and suffering, to trust and have faith in the one who called them to walk towards the promised land and not to have faith and trust in the promised land itself. They've not come to that old mountain, Mount Sinai, where there was darkness and gloom and storm, where even Moses, who spoke with God, was trembling with fear, and even an animal who touched it would die. So going forward in Hebrews, in chapter 12, verses 22 to 29, it says, No, they have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. They've come to thousands of angels who sing their praise to God, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. And they've come to God, the judge of all men, and to the spirits of the saints made perfect. They've come to Jesus, the mediator of a better covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And that story is in the Old Testament. The blood of Abel was said to cry out from the ground, um, to cry out the guilt on his brother Cain who killed him. But the blood of Jesus cries a better story because it brings redemption and it brings salvation for a new humanity. So we're warned to listen to the words of Jesus because God will shake the heavens and the earth, it says. It says that God will shake the heavens and the earth so that what remains can't be shaken. And in these verses, it says that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So we're exhorted to be thankful and worship God with acceptable reverence and awe because he is a consuming fire even though this is a joyful place to come, he is still an awesome God. So what does this mean for us? It means that we should live our lives towards him in simplicity of trust and faithfulness. It means that we are going to be a people, a body, a family, in relationship with each other and in relationship with God in this new future that God is going to give us. So how are we going to be that? What does it mean to be a secure and settled people? I'm going to carry on in the book of Hebrews, as I said at the beginning. I'm going to stick to these texts because they put it very well. Um, The writer to the Hebrew doesn't repeat the Ten Commandments as the way that we go forward. Um, But what he says sounds a bit like them in many ways. Um, And this kind of new law, which we can find in many parts of the New Testament, which is to be written on our hearts and not on tablets of stone. Um, We can find many lists a bit like this in other letters in the New Testament. And they're all based around Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and in his parables in other places. And they contain those values that we carry and that we live out, those values that we endorse and those values that we pass on to our children. 
and it is in being the love community centered around the person and the values of Jesus. We walk in the spirit, we show our worship to him and as those people we become partakers of his heavenly kingdom working itself out on the earth. And it's been such a privilege to be part of Ellsbury Vineyard up to this point because we've seen these values played out time and time again. And thank you for allowing us to be on this journey with you through these years. We have been so amazingly, amazingly privileged and pleased to be a part of it. I'm just going to read some of these uh, values and ideas that are put forward in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 18. The first one, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. I just want us to think about that for a minute. Loving one another as brothers and sisters that's not hierarchy, is it? That is family. It may be sibling rivalry, and maybe that's where we need to get that voices speaking, able to be um, able to be having people heard on different sides. But it's sibling equality. There are no favourites. Then the next one, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we don't want to just be good at hospitality because we really, really want to um, entertain an angel, but we do want to be hospitable. We want to be able to welcome strangers, and we've seen that so much in this church, and that is part of the blueprint of who we are. Let's continue in that. And when we think about that as well, that happens in so many different ways. When we have settled homes, we can invite other people in and we've seen it through people fostering and adopting, through people inviting friends for dinner, for, through connect groups. And we've you know, got people um, who really reach out to the refugees and they see this far more as a global um, value and not just a local um, personal value. It's not just about opening up our own homes, but it's about um, modelling something as a microcosm here in the church that then we can pray for and work into on a global scale. Welcome the stranger. And then it says, remember those in prison and suffer with them. It says, keep the marriage bed pure, honour marriage, and don't commit adultery. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Be content and trust God, who said that he will look after us. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever, and that we should follow him even in suffering. He was taken outside the camp, it says, and we need to be prepared to be an outsider as he was. And we should always be praising God, knowing that Jesus has gone before us into his presence. We have that access to God's throne room. And we are to do good. That's a simple one. Do good. And we're to share with others. 
And we're to have confidence in our leaders and submit to them because they keep watch over us. And we're to pray. So the question I want to leave you with today is, how are you going to be a people, a body, a family, in relationship with each other and in relationship with God, in this new land that God is going to give you? I don't see Ellsbury Vineyard as an army set to conquer. I see a community of pilgrims. Nearly everyone is carrying or holding hands with or supporting someone else. Are they slowing you down? If God has put you together, how can they be slowing you down? The nature of a caring society is that the strong and the weak live together. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's find and give our strength first to Jesus and then to one another. Let's not let a pandemic take away what we have. Yes, we need to stay safe. Yes, we need to stay alert. Yes, we need to respect the government and we need to work forwards within safe guidelines. But we must not give up meeting together. COVID has shown us, hasn't it, that it's not the celebrities or the exceptionally gifted or the highly recognised people that enable life to continue and thrive through challenging times. It's the key workers, those who care for the sick, who step up and volunteer to reach the forgotten and the hidden in their homes. It's the workers in the mundane and the crucial support industries like food retail and rubbish collection and cleaners. It's in this new season, as the vision becomes clearer for what God is calling us to next, don't lose sight of who he wants you to be, who he wants you to become together, so that his glory and his kingdom of love and shalom can be reflected out to the world. Everything may be shaken, but what he builds amongst us can never be taken away. Taking the land is not about conquest of people and things, but about overcoming the evil one who seeks to destroy lives. Taking the land is about finding that rest, that shalom, that world of peace that still exists for the people of God to reach out for. And once we've found it, welcome others in. Be that place of refuge and safety. I'm just going to put up uh, a list of those things from Hebrews 13, 1 to 18, that will make us be that place of shalom, a promised land for our community. Go and take your promised land and keep going until that day that it speaks of in Revelation 21, verses 2 to 4. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Thank you.